Welcome to worship on this brisk morning. Beginning at verse 7. Clouds coming out to be baptized by him. You brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the coming wrath. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowd asked, What shall we do then? And Jesus answered, The man with two tunics should share with him who has none, and the one who has food should do the same. Tax collectors also came and asked, Teacher, what shall we do? Don't collect any more than is required of you. And there were soldiers there who said, What should we do? And he replied, Don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. The people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Christ. John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but the one who is more powerful than I will come, and the thongs of whom sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire, and his winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And with many other words, John exhorted the people and preached the good news to them. The Gospel of our Lord. I sometimes think that we preachers, are, we modern day preachers, we, uh, we're not bold enough to preach like John. And we all, of course, we all know why. Because if we did, we'd probably be booted out of the pulpit and we'd be booted out of the church and we'd lose our paychecks. I really do believe that's one of the reasons why the church has not been as prophetic and as bold as it could have been all of these years. Because pastors are fearful of their very livelihoods. Because the church might actually run them out the door if we spoke as boldly as John the Baptist. And with that, I say rejoice. (laughs) Or another way of saying it is gaudete. Gaudete is the Latin word for rejoice. This is known as Rejoice Sunday in the life of the church. And that word gaudete has been around now for centuries. And it has been a part of our church. Day. And we do it because we anticipate and we celebrate, celebrate with delight. God's delight in us and our delight in God's salvation. Does that make sense? Have you thought about that recently? That 
God delights in us and that we delight in God's salvation, I would like to think that that would be something that we would actually remind ourselves of every day. One of my commentary sources says that this is the day that we pause to remember the heart of the gospel story, which is the stunning good news of God's saving work, the good news that's grounded in joy. This past Thursday evening, for those of us who had opportunity to be here in this space, we heard music, we saw music, and we saw the Word. We saw the Word, and we had a momentary glimpse of the kingdom of God in the here and now. And we had... On Thursday night, a momentary glimpse into joy. Those who were in attendance were blessed as they sat and listened and heard and experienced. They were blessed with tears, with laughter, with smiles, with moments of reflection. And the promise of God's saving love that was expressed to them through multiple tonal resonance. There were instruments here of all kinds, piano, organ, guitar, bass, bells, dulcimer, electronic keyboard, drums, and of course, one of the most important sounds of all were the voices of those whom God looks upon with love and grace and says, you are worthy of being redeemed. You are worth redeeming. American poet Jack Gilbert, he lived between the years 1925 and 2012. He wrote many, many poems, but he wrote one called A Brief for the Defense. And in that poem, he says this. He says, we must risk, we must risk delight. We must have the stubbornness to accept our gladness in the ruthless furnace of this world. We must have the stubbornness to accept our gladness in the ruthless furnace of this world. And then he says, we must admit that there will be music despite everything. And I think that's what happened here on Thursday night. Is that we said on Thursday night... Everything that we see in the context of this world that's around us right now, in the midst of all of this chaos and all of this noise and all of this mess that seems to be going on out there, there will be music. There will be joy. There will be delight. Have you contemplated or thought much about joy recently? I don't think we do it enough. I'll be the first to admit that I have not contemplated joy enough in my life. 
So much so that I stand before you today and I wonder whether or not I can truly even speak appropriately of it. And that's why I'm going to be using several uh, words from other people who have perhaps been more insightful than I. On this weekend of Advent calendar, when we celebrate delight and to reflect upon God's delight in us and our delight in God's salvation, I'd like to take a few moments to reflect and contemplate joy. We have four passages that are assigned for this Sunday. There are two passages from the Old Testament that are assigned, one from the minor prophet Zephaniah and the other from Isaiah. We heard the reading from Isaiah today. We also heard the reading and the words from Paul. Most of us don't know a whole lot about the prophet Zephaniah. When you look at the overall scheme of things, it, his, his, his space in the Old Testament takes up a whopping five pages. Five pages of the Old Testament are the testimony and the prophetic words of Zephaniah, as opposed to Isaiah, who takes up nearly 100 pages in the Old Testament. All three of these people, Zephaniah, Isaiah, and Paul, they have something to teach us about joy. All three of them speak of their joy openly, and yet they also speak of it within their own unique context and out of their own life experience. And the common denominator that we have and that they share within the context of their settings in life is the reality that they speak joy and they express joy even within the context of suffering, even within the context of conflict, corruption, injustice, and so many other things, and for Paul, even imprisonment. In other words, Zephaniah, Isaiah, and Paul, they did not deny the harsh reality of their lives, And they don't deny the brokenness of the world around them. Rather, they speak truth. They speak truth to the realities of their their adversities. And in a certain sense, I think that Zephaniah, Isaiah, and Paul are saying what the poet Jack Gilbert said, that we must risk delight. That we must, must risk delight in the midst of what is happening in the world right now. The prophet Zephaniah exhorts his readers to sing aloud, rejoice, and exult with all your hearts because God is in their midst and rejoices over them with gladness. And Isaiah claims with confidence that his people will draw water from the wells of salvation with joy. And Paul, writing to the people of Philippi, speaking this oh-so-familiar passage, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. It's worth saying again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. For the Lord is near. 
One of my commentary sources that I read often is Deb Thomas. And she says this. She says that Isaiah writes in a context of great suffering. And yet his call to joy is a forward-facing call. A call that fully recognizes the terror and the pain of his present moment. And yet at that same time... Isaiah insists, he insists that something infinitely good, something restorative, something salvific is on the horizon. God will not abandon God's beloved. To rejoice in a time of exile, then, is to insist that God is present, that God is active, and that God is faithful, even when circumstances suggest otherwise. And she further goes on and she says is that joy in Isaiah's context is a muscle to exercise. Joy is something that we exercise. A practice to honor. A discipline to cultivate. And it doesn't require denial at all. What it requires is the courage to trust in a God who promises deliverance. Something else that made a lot of sense to me in another one of my source materials that I read is that Paul's famous words here are not about feeling good so much as they are about cultivating the inner life of the soul. I like that. Cultivating the inner life of the soul. Yes, we can experience joy. It can be an emotion, We've all experienced joy in one shape or form. I think about my own life. The times that I've experienced the greatest joy in my life is at the birth of my children. There was something about that moment that was absolute pure joy, unexpressible other than just the gush of the emotion of that In those times, I think, at least for me, maybe I don't think about it enough, but, or maybe I just don't give enough credit to the times that I've actually experienced joy in an emotional sense. But I, I do think that this is true, that it's more than just feeling good. It's also about cultivating the inner life of the soul. There's something about our soul being at peace with our deliverance and our delight in God that gives us that inner joy that doesn't always come out. But it's there. The article went on to say that in Paul's view, peace and joy are not emotions that we conjure up within ourselves, but rather It is something that comes from God. Joy is something that comes from God, which is to suggest that we receive that peace and that joy, and we do it by continually returning to, returning to some of that repentance stuff, to the source and keeping an eye on the one for whom 
that peace and joy comes. We keep turning around and we keep returning to And once again, you might think that I'm preaching you a sermon from Deb Thomas today, but again, I think she expresses things so insightfully, they are worth being heard. Just like the Apostle Paul who said, let us rejoice, and again I say rejoice, and I think these are words worth hearing. You are hearing them for the very first time. She says that joy requires that we hold on to two realities at once. The reality of the world's brokenness in the one hand, and the reality of God's love in the other. The reality of the world's brokenness in one hand, and the reality of God's love in the other. Joy is what happens when we daily live into the belief that God can and that God will bridge The gap between the world that we long for and the world that we see before our eyes. It's a willingness to sit gently but persistently in that tension of the not yet. Trusting that God's peace will guard our hearts and our minds in that and in between places for as long as it takes. That God will, will how, did, how did I say it? That God's peace will guard our hearts and our minds in that in-between place for as long as it takes. Okay, enough of Deb Thomas. <laughs> A few other comments. For those of you who did not have the benefit of sitting in this past Thursday on our on Pastor Al's Bible study on the Advent text from Isaiah. I sometimes think that uh, I, I I think that there are there are things that are spoken that need to be said again and again and again. And I believe that Pastor Al was helping us to see some of the insights and joy of that which Isaiah spoke. I don't know how many other people in that Bible study take notes. I'm a, I'm a prolific note writer, note taker. Being heard that I jotted down this past Thursday. One of the things that Pastor Al reminded us of, and I said it earlier in my sermon today, is that Isaiah saw the Word. Isaiah said that he saw the Word. He had a glimpse. He had a vision. He had a dream. He saw into the future what salvation and deliverance is He saw the word. And it's a glimpse that reminds us that history.
And that the future determines the present. I love that phrase. I don't think we think about that enough. And yet we do it all the time, don't we? The future determines the present. Our dreams about what it is that we want to do in the future, our plans of what we want to do in the future, determine what we do now. You've all done it. You've made decisions about careers in your life, about where you're going to live someday, where you're going to retire. Some of you decided that Lake Havasu City would be the place that you would retire in your golden years. But you thought about that many, many years back. But it was because of your thought process in the present that you were thinking about the future. It determined your present reality. One of the examples that Pastor Al gave is Rosa Parks. Because Rosa Parks saw a future. And she thought, we should live in that future right now. And so what did she do? She sat in a different place on the bus because she saw a future. And she did. The future became the reality because of her action. That tomorrow will not be the same as today. And I think what I heard there is that the prophet Isaiah spoke to the reality of his current context, but he was also saying that I am not going to do this day without you, Lord. That was one of the phrases that Pastor Al used. I'm not going to do this day without you, Lord. And then I heard him say this, Advent is the impossible possibility, Advent is the impossible possibility, and Scripture reminds us that nothing is impossible with God. Another phrase worth giving some significant contemplation to. Advent is the impossible possibility. And finally I wrote, Pastor Al said, slow down. Slow down and remind yourself that God is with you. And this is the part that I thought was quite insightful, that God is with you over the turmoil. God is with you over the turmoil. And he shared the image of a bird perched on a branch over this turbulent river. And the bird that was on that branch was a wren. And this is something that I didn't know. He said that a wren is actually called the bird of the resurrection. Did you know that? That the wren is considered the bird of the resurrection? I didn't know that. That's totally new to me. And the reason why the wren is known as the bird of the resurrection is because it never stops singing. 
even in the midst of the turbulence, it never stops singing. I'm going to quote one other person today. His name is Walter Brueggemann. He's perhaps one of the most renowned Old Testament scholars of our generation. He lives today in the state of Michigan, and he's 88 years old. And yet, he is as sharp as he has ever been, and he uses words of insight and wisdom that is beyond my comprehension at times. And I think that he speaks prophetic words, and again, he can afford to. He's 88. He's retired. He can speak boldly. He can speak prophetic words. And he says this. He says, The prophetic tasks of the church are to tell the truth in a society that lives in illusion. The prophetic task of the church is to grieve in a society that practices denial. And the prophetic task of the church is to express hope in a society that lives in despair. I think those are words worthy of consideration that we as the church need to speak truth to a society that lives in illusion, that grieves in a society that practices denial and to express in a society that lives in despair. I think it's another way that he is seeking, speaking some of the same words that we heard from the poet Gilbert. That we need to risk delight, that we need to risk joy, that we need to risk hope. And to have the stubbornness, the absolute stubbornness to accept our gladness in the ruthless furnace of this world, and that we must admit that despite all the turmoil, all the chaos, all of the noise, that there must be music. There must be music, and it must be music of delight. And so let us slow down. Let us slow down and remind ourselves that God is with us over the turmoil, and let us the one who never stops singing, and let us live in the joy of God's delight in us and in our delight in God's salvation. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.
The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Amen.